Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers, and this is week two of two as we open the book of Ezra and lots of correlating scriptures and learn what God has to teach us both in that narrative and just the dynamic of the people of Israel and Ezra, the scribe and the priest. This is a beautiful book. It's also a book to wrestle with, and we're grateful for the guests that we have today. Dr. Noe Garcia is the senior pastor at North Phoenix Baptist Church. He also serves on the evangelism team for the North American Mission Board. He's great. We have loved talking with him this episode. He pastored us really beautifully, and I think that you'll find that to be true for you as well. This is a great episode. And y'all, as you know, this is week two of the two-week series. After that, we're going to go into some bonus episodes for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to jump into the book of Judges. Now, Judges is another one where you're going to want that book. If you don't have it already, you can go to shopshereadstruth.com, and for $5 off, you can enter Judges Podcast 5. That's Judges Podcast, and then the number 5, and you get $5 off of anything in the Judges collection. So go ahead and get that book ordered, and we will jump on the Judges train shortly. But for now, let's get right to the book of Ezra. Welcome to week two of the Book of Ezra. We're pumped to have you here. This is going to be, I mean, it's not a smooth and easy week, but it's going to be an interesting one. I'm glad you're with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dig in the Word of God with you and see His truths and His promises, so it's going to be exciting. That's right. That's right. I love that. Catching our listeners up, as you guys know, we are in the midst of a two-week series on reading the book of Ezra together. And you guys know, as she reads truth, that we don't just read a book of the Bible, but we like to curate the Scripture. So every day along the way, we're reading kind of from all over the Bible, and that's what we're going to get to do And you also know that this launches on a Monday, and so we are going to be discussing everything from week two, but then you get the good work ahead of you of being the woman or man in the Word of God every day this week and doing all of the reading every day. So anyway, we're excited to kick this off with you guys, though. I know. This is so fun. Hey, Noe, you're a pastor of a local congregation, right, where you live. Remind me where you guys are. We are in Phoenix, Arizona. I was going to say Phoenix. I thought that's what I read. Okay. <laughs> that's right. It, it's a dry heat. Okay. Oh, oh dry it's heat. like 115 right now. It's horrible. Um, you know what? I, I have to ask, though, and this is such a late, like maybe uninteresting, unrelated question. But So it was, you know, 90 degrees here, not 115, but it was 97% humidity last week. It's a wet heat, Noe. It's not good. I haven't really experienced 115 without that kind of humidity. Is it better? Is it worse? Let me tell you. So I'm from Houston. So I understand humidity. I live yeah, in Nashville. Do. We're going to find some way to tie this into the scripture. I'm excited. No, we will. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. And I will take this dry heat over the humidity anytime. Okay. I just feel yeah, like yeah. the humidity, you start sweating. You yeah, get you do. grouchy. It ruins yeah. your day. Yeah, you just can't recover. Yeah. Yeah. My husband, Ryan, was just like, it's like it's like not an active rain. Like it's like a, a present rain it's where a, the air is thickness. 97% wet. It's just a thickness. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's unpleasant. It's yeah. misery. 
So you pastor a local congregation, and we talked last week in week one of our Ezra series. We had Dr. Christina Edmondson on, and we were laughing that Ezra can be a forgotten book and that it isn't often like preached through. And so I'm wondering, not not to put you on the spot because I'm it's excited. okay if the answer is no, but I'm just curious if you've ever taught the book of Ezra to a congregation. No, not yet. You know, I've taught Yamaya. Yeah. We teach the books of the Bible at our church, but it's interesting because I like to go after those books that aren't often taught. So, for example, I just preached through Habakkuk. And oh, a yeah, lot of people were good. like, Habakkuk, I didn't even know that was in the Bible, you know? <laughs> so I like to go after those books, Philemon like and, and these different ones to think, you know That's what? Awesome. These are the often forgot about books that have so much richness in them. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you know, after preparing for the study and looking through this, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to teach on this here pretty soon at the church. No kidding. Okay, yes. let's go. That's exciting. Well, good. You just use us as your trial audience. Yeah. So like 100%. whatever you, if you got stuff <laughs> yeah. you want to test out. Uh, test you your, new, your material. She reads truth material. communities. Like here it. for you. There you go. Okay, so y'all listening, I before we jump into the reading for day eight, it's one of those like readings that's like, and so I don't know the exact words of it says King Darius gave the order. The you're order. Like, wait, you're what? like, wait, what order? So I'm gonna give you just like that little bit of background because we actually didn't super cover this with, with Dr. Edmondson last week. So in Ezra chapter five, you probably already read this on Friday last week, but in case you didn't, there's sort of this moment where you remember we like read a about the opposition and, you know, the enemies of the people of God are going like, hey, king, like, watch out for them. Like, they're dangerous. And we're kind of, as readers, going, oh, they're not dangerous. Like, the God of Israel is who you need to really fear. Hmm. But then there, there's this moment where they kind of just go like, no, it's true. This permission that we've been given to rebuild the temple, it's legitimate. There's a letter from, I think it's King Cyrus, way back at, the, you know, chapter one of Ezra. And they're like, no, like, please go back in your history books and look. Like, this was written down. And you even notice in chapter one when they're like, and it was written down. So the backstory as we lead into week two is that they discovered, like they found, they uncovered these records and they read it. And sure enough, all the provisions were made for the people of Israel to rebuild and have all the materials that they need. And so right at kind of the end of chapter five, verse 17, it says, so if it pleases the king, let a search of the royal archives in Babylon be conducted to see if it's true that a decree was issued by King Cyrus mm-hmm. to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the king's decision regarding this matter be sent to us. Mm-hmm. So it's a, like, check your receipts. Like, is did this happen? <laughs> and they checked. And they checked. And, and that's where we get into chapter six, where it's like, so, you know, he gave the order, right? Yeah. Why is that so significant? I mean, like, help us, Noe, like, with the context. We talked some about context last last week, but why would there be this opposition? And why would this be necessary? Yeah, well, let me, let me first say that's it's interesting. All throughout Scripture, when you see when something is being rebuilt, it often has to do with Israel's disobedience. And, yeah. and you see several things. Number one, God is so kind and so faithful and merciful to his people that he doesn't just throw them away, right? He doesn't just mm-hmm. say, you know what? I'm t- yes, there, there are 70 years of exile. Yes, there are consequences. Yes, he raises up other nations to bring judgment upon them. But the truth is, uh, this is his, his kindness. 
because this judgment is meant to draw them back to repentance and restoration back to him. So number one, you see the people of God, which is still true today, by the way, we continue to find our hearts just wandering away from the things of God. And he is so kind to kindly discipline us in order to restore us. Mm, Like what an amazing God. Mm -hmm. Number two, one thing you see throughout scripture, you see Proverbs 21 verse one says this, and I love this scripture because I pray it all the time. I give it to my friends who work in secular organizations who they're saying, hey, my boss is not a Christian. How do I deal with this situation? And I give them this scripture. Proverbs 21 verse one says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, which means God is sovereign even over these secular kings. Esther, God is sovereign over the king. You know, Nehemiah, God is sovereign. So in this particular chapter, chapter six, you see Darius make this decree. Mm -hmm. And we know while Darius is making this decree to restore worship again, we know that the ultimate person leading this is is God. He Mm -hmm. is the one is controlling the heart of Darius to reestablish this decree of worship for his people. But it's not only that, it's the same as Nehemiah. It's the same as Esther. This king says, give them all they need to restore, right? Mm -hmm. Nehemiah, I'm going to write a decree where you have all the supplies you need to restore. Darius right here is saying, look, give them everything they need. It will be paid for. In fact, even give them, and you can see in in the scripture here from chapter six, verse eight and nine, Mm -hmm. verse eight, be sure it's paid in full. Verse 9, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, whatever is needed for the burnt offerings, give it to them. And so why is this important? Important for several reasons. You see God's kindness and the restoration of worship for his people. But anytime you see God moving, you also see the enemy moving. And so the opposition is really a revelation that God is moving. There wouldn't be opposition if the spirit of God wasn't moving. There'd be nothing to oppose. So the Hmm. fact that there is opposition is actually a revelation that God's will is moving forward. Hmm. There is so much there. I'm sure we'll get into this later because I love the stance that Ezra takes to this opposition. Yeah. Yeah. I needed that nugget. I just wrote that down, that the <laughs> yeah. opposition is actually a revelation that God is moving. is moving and mm. that there is progress to mm. oppose. Mm. And, and yeah, and a lot of times, like, without the kingdom lens, mm-hmm. it doesn't look that way, right? Yeah. Like, we can think that opposition is, you know, the absence of God in whatever you know, sphere, we are experiencing the opposition. But we talked about that some last week, too, of how there will always be mm-hmm. <laughs> adversity and opposition. Yeah. Um, that's part of the deal, right? That's right. And the thing that we are kind of seeing, like an unexpected theme in this book mm-hmm. is 
God at work in the hearts of rulers who don't even like love him. You know what I mean? Like in chapter one, like Cyrus, like going back to that initial decree and he's going, God has appointed me to do these things, right? Like it's awesome to see that. And also, you know, like even like with then again, Darius, for him to say, and I, I thought it was so interesting in verse 10 of chapter six, he kind of says, like, let it, everything be given every day without fail so that they can offer sacrifices of pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Like, there's mm. for him this, like, fear of the God of Israel. Like, objectively, like, he might also worship other gods. Like, right. I, don't, I don't know here that, that God is his God. It's just interesting to me that he's like, but also, could you guys pray for me? Because your God seems... Right. Pretty these are not just pretty powerful. Altruistic motives. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. I would like to be on the good side of, of mm-hmm. this. No, that's right. And even like you pointed out in verse 10, that phrase, the God of heaven. Yeah. That phrase specifically was a phrase that was used even by kings, like you said, who who worship other gods. They yeah. use this phrase for the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So there is acknowledgement here. Whether there's all these other gods out there being worshipped, there is this acknowledgement that he is speaking about Israel's God. He is the God of heavens. Yeah. And so that is a, again, that's a phrase that we can read and say he had some honor, respect, and revere for the God of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And then it says, verse 14, so the Jewish elders continued successfully with the building under the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, son of Edu. They finished the building according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and King Artaxerxes of Persia. Mm -hmm. But here comes the dedication ceremony. And of course, like as we read this, having, you know, as a community, we read First and Second Chronicles um, Mm -hmm. during Lent. We have in mind a memory of the dedication of Solomon's temple. Mm -hmm. And this is a very different experience. I think even like thinking back last week when we read, I think it was on day three, about the foundation being laid. And some people were shouting with joy, like, this is, like, it's happening. And other people were shouting with sorrow, like mm-hmm. the elders of Israel were shouting with sorrow because because they had seen the first temple yeah. and seen both. So this is a different experience, the, the temple dedication, than the first. Yeah. I mean, they finished the work. Like, I feel like we have to, like, hey, before we, we talk, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the opposition was present, but they finished the work, yeah. and then they get to do the dedication, they get to observe the Passover. Like, what a moment. That's true. Yeah. That's good. And, and you, you mentioned this, and you can see it in verse 16. Verse 16 says, and the, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Yeah. When you see that word joy, and you talked about this celebration of the foundation of the joy and the weeping, when you are offering these sacrifices, we all know when we come before God in our time with God and we're confessing our sin, there is a sense of grief deep in our soul, weeping, whether we're weeping or not, deep in our soul because of that sin before there is joy. That's right. And so what you see here is Yes, they are sacrificing their sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So you have to recognize that while there is this joy of celebration, there's also probably this grieving because they are grieving a good grieving, but it's the grieving of the death of their sin. They have to recognize and grieve their sin before there is this moment of joy. Those two go hand to hand. So, yes, it is exciting 
you know, lately, let me tell you why this is, this is really neat to read. God has had me in this last year of this, almost this restoration of my soul. And he is just bringing up the ugly parts in, my, in the quiet time and the things he is trying to mature and grow in me. And there's been this season of grieving, like, oh, man, I can't believe I was that spiritually immature. I'm embarrassed by that God. So it's like I'm grieving this death, but now there is this complete joy. Like, mm. thank you for growing me. Thank you mm-hmm. for not leaving me alone. So not to make this about me or us in this verse, but you have to just imagine this moment yeah. of God, I grieve who I was in exile. I'm grieving the 70 years and what who I became because we see in, in this book that some of them didn't suffer well. That yeah. in the, the yeah. midst of their suffering, they didn't suffer well, that they sinned in their suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know what that's like. We don't all suffer well all the time. And sometimes we sin in our suffering. But no matter if you suffered well or if you sinned in your suffering, there is this moment as a community where they came together and the scriptures tells us they celebrated with joy at that moment of dedication. And there must have been so many mixed emotions that the old them of the moment of the exile, they, mm-hmm. they were grieving that person. And there was joy that came out of that grief. So the same could be true from this scripture in our lives. While we grieve the old us, we can also have that moment of joy. That's right. Yeah. It reminds me of Psalm 32, you know, like that just Mm. how that description of unrepentant sin and just before we confess and then the freedom and life that confession and repentance and forgiveness bring to our soul. And in this case, it's bringing that life to the community, that's right. You know, yeah. like to their their actual circumstance and, you know, being restored to the land that they were promised. And right. that God returns, like, well, I was about to say returns to His promise. He never left His promise, but that God allows them to return and that He doesn't abandon mm-hmm. yeah. His covenant and His promise to them. Mm-hmm. He fulfills is, it. It's so beautiful. And we will read on, is this still Monday? Yeah. We'll read today from First Kings about the blessing of Solomon's temple. And one of the things that Solomon prayed was, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us Yeah, so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commands, statutes, ordinances. And so we know that they did not always walk in his ways. I mean, we do not either, right? Yeah. But that he did not abandon them and that to see this part of the redemption story yeah. I mean, is speaking, really beautiful. Speaking of First Kings, like even the verse before that, I just was thrilled to see again, not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. Mm-hmm. That line, mm-hmm. like I was like, I need to like fill in the blank Moses and switch it out for Rachel. Like not one good promise that he's right. made to his servant Rachel has failed. Like mm. it makes us go back to that. So we have a, a reading plan called the Promises of God, where I feel like as a team we were just like asking the question, like, okay, like everyone keeps saying, like, actually, like, what are the promises of God? Like, we want to know. Like, I feel like we have these conversations about like finding the promises of God in Scripture rather than like what we think they might be, or mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, it was so good to go through the exercise of creating that reading plan to like truly dig into what are the actual promises of God in Scripture and how is it true that every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. Right. And then, you know, to see something like this and just go like, also, that's true in my life. Like yeah. that was true in history, but like that's true for me as well. That's right. That's the same God. And, and Rachel, you're, you're spot on. You know, chapter six is a fulfillment of prophecy, right? Yeah. It's fulfilling yeah. Isaiah 40. It's mm-hmm. also fulfilling the verse everyone loves to quote, Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah. Or another plans I have for you. But Jeremiah 29, 10, this yes. is the prophecy that it's fulfilling. And so here's why I love this. Like you said, yes, it's historical, but this same God and his character is true today. So what you see is he, he was faithful to his promise and he fulfilled it. But also what you see is that he kept his promises when they didn't. That's right. Like, God was faithful even mm. when they were unfaithful. And I think about that and I just think, what an amazing God. Mm-hmm. That just because the people of Israel were unfaithful and didn't keep their promise to God, doesn't mean that he changed his character just because they didn't keep theirs. That's and so good. Yeah. How can you not fall more in love with a God like that? Yeah. It doesn't mean we abuse that grace, but it means we celebrate this amazing God that we serve. Yeah. And then our response, like, I'm so thrilled to have that First Kings 8 in Monday's reading because verse 60 also, just to me, it's it's just like this banner, like, call to all believers and to the people of Israel where it says, May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in His statues and to keep His commands as it is today. That, like, wholeheartedly devoted— mm is where we're going to actually, and later as we read the book of Ezra this week, we're going to find what happens when we are only half-heartedly devoted to God, Just sort of our, our transition into what we have yet to read this week. Yeah. Or in really any of the Old Testament. Like, this book is, I mean, spoiler alert, it's not going to end with a tidy bow. Like, it's a, it's a complicated, <laughs> it's a complicated, really complicated book. It ends at like the edge of a cliff. I mean, yeah. you're just yeah. like, wait, wait, is this the end? Yeah. Why is this the and end? And we know that it's like originally like connected with yeah. the book of Nehemiah, but even mm-hmm. still, like even Nehemiah kind of ends at the edge of a cliff where you're like, yeah. oh, we need Jesus. We need yeah. Jesus. That's where we end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, moving on to uh, well, we, day nine. Ezra makes his appearance. It's it, now. The, the Here eponymously we go. named, somehow in my mind he was a prophet, and I forgot that he's from the line of Levi. He's a priest and a scribe, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, so Ezra comes on the scene, and he's he's quite a guy. I love, you know, sometimes we don't get a lot of description about people the in various, the, like, yeah. you know, people in the Bible that have some books that they're involved in. But like, I think one, Obadiah, we don't really know a ton right. about him. Yeah. Yeah, but this, it's just like, he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, says repeatedly a couple of times that the hand of God was on him, mm. mm-hmm. and that he had, in chapter 7, verse 10, it says, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. So he is going back to... Jerusalem to the promised land, and he's going on, we talked about last week about being on mission. He is on mission. Yeah. Side note of rabbit trails, if I may. I was reading this, like Ezra 7, and like him taking this journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. He arrived in the first 
day of the first month and arrived in Mm -hmm. Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand of his God was on him. And I was like, okay, tell me more about that. And so I Googled, like, how far is it from Babylon to Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. Well, Babylon's not a current place. Babylon, it turns out, is about 55 miles south of, like, present-day Baghdad. Okay. Also, you can't Google map a walk from present-day Baghdad to Jerusalem. <laughs> Google Maps does not know what to do with that. They're like, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, so I right. did a little more research. It's about 750 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. However, the route at the time, because they had to walk along rivers mm-hmm. so that they could stay alive with the water source, was about 1,700 miles. Whoa. And so it mm. was about a four- to five-month journey to yeah. go from the place to where they were exiled back to Jerusalem. And so the fact that he made it in four months because the gracious hand of the Lord was on him is like, it gives more meaning to that. Not just like, oh, and he made good time, but like he made it safely. It's like, that was a whole journey of walking in the desert for four months. Yeah. Now that's, you think about that, think about the obedience and faithfulness that took. You know, I don't know about you, but if the Lord is like, hey, I want you to travel this far to be obedient to me, I would probably find loopholes for reasons why I shouldn't do that. Right. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. to think about that kind of obedience. And I told my church this a while back. I believe that obedience kind of unleashes the power of God. Right. And so you see when you, when you walk in obedience, you get to experience the power of God. The safest place to be is in the will of God. Mm-hmm. So you see this man who is saying, I will do whatever you want me to do. No matter how hard it is, no matter how far it is, think about what he's getting into. He's getting into rebuilding a community of people to worship God. This community was so diverse at this time, right? There there were people who came out of exile. There were people who had never been in exile. There were people who got out of the covenant of God. They were mixing religions. They were mixing political beliefs. There was so much mixture going on. They went outside the covenant. There's all kinds of marriages happening with different religions, And his call, it's not like God is saying, hey, go over here. I'm going to give you an awesome financial raise. No, he's saying travel this far. And when you get there, it's going to be unbelievably hard. You're going to discover that the walk was the easy part. (laughs) No, that's right. This is the easiest thing you'll have to do. So enjoy the walk. Travel the 1,700 miles and then the work will begin. 100%. Yeah, that is... That is intense. And when he gets there, there's a lot of decrees happening, Mm -hmm. a lot of kings, a lot of decrees. But Artaxerxes is essentially like whatever Ezra needs. Like Ezra, Mm -hmm. you have, again, because he seems to at least fear God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the God of Israel, right? And so he says that Ezra, like whatever you need. I'm, and he essentially gives him like jurisdiction yeah. because mm-hmm. he even gives him the ability to kind of set up structure and he's appointing judges and various things. And basically, like, if you're not on Team Ezra, you're in trouble. Yeah. So everybody get on Team Ezra, give Ezra everything he needs, kind of as we have seen with, you know, Darius and Cyrus before. That's right. Which is pretty, like, every time I read those of, like, all of the construction was funded by taxes of people who are not, yeah, you know, yeah. Israel. <laughs> and so I'm just like, ah, can you imagine? Like, yeah. I, what a bold 
yeah. thing. And no matter that, I mean, no wonder there was opposition. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's astounding. It is. It's a great contrast. And it's it's also amazing, you know, go back to Proverbs 21, verse 1, how the Lord can really use anything for our good and for his glory. That's right. He, he can yes. use right. secular resources to accomplish mm-hmm. his will. Only God can do that, right? Yeah. And I mean, we read on day eight from Romans eight, you know, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Like what we're seeing there is like the plans of the Lord will not be thwarted. Like Mm -hmm. he is at work and you are invited and there will be discipline and like he's kind to invite us back, but he's moving forward this plan and big picture. That's what we're seeing too with the rebuilding of this temple. Yeah, that's right. Hey friends, pausing this conversation to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, Haya. Now, it's no secret that typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, right? They're filled with tons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk that your kids just don't need. That is why Haya was created. It is the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. It has 12 organic fruits and vegetables, 15 essential vitamins and minerals, and Haya has zero sugar. It's vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, all the things you want in a children's vitamin. And somehow, kids still love it. And I have to tell you, so do all the moms with young kids here at the She Reads Truth office. So if you want to see if Haya is right for your family, we have a special deal just for you where you can get 50% off your first order. Just go to HayaHealth.com slash truth. Your first order will arrive with a super cute bottle that your kids can decorate with stickers. And then each month's supply of vitamins will arrive right at your door. You don't even have to think about it. This deal is not available on the regular website. So be sure to go to Haya Health. That's H-I-Y-A. H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash truth and claim your discount and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Hey friends, quick ad break to tell you about a new dog food brand our family has discovered called Sundays for Dogs. I'll get to all the details of why Sundays is such a great product to know about, but first I have to tell you what happened in the Myers home this month when our Vishla Honey gave it a try. It was 4th of July weekend, and the firework sounds made her a ball of nerves for days. She's already a super lean animal, so three days of an emotional hunger strike from her regular dog food had her looking super skinny. Anyway, it was the perfect day for our first delivery of Sundays for Dogs. I opened the bag, and she was immediately interested. Like, I think she thought it was a bag of treats. She could hardly wait for me to set the bowl down before she was inhaling their 90% meat, 10% vegetable, 0% synthetic mix. Her hunger strike didn't stand a chance against this stuff, and that was the first reason that I knew I wanted to tell you all about it. Besides the fact that Honey clearly loved the USDA beef and the all-natural chicken, she was also getting digestive benefits from pumpkin, ginger, and disease-fighting antioxidants. We've loved continuing to feed Honey Sundays for Dogs because, first of all, her enthusiasm for mealtime has not dimmed. But also, long-term enjoyment benefits include softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy, which she doesn't really need a lot of help in that department, but we'll take it. Listen, you know how much we love to talk about simplifying your life with subscriptions around here. So, along with your SRT monthly study book delivery, consider adding Sundays for Dogs to your list of subscriptions. 
Now I've got details for how you can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash truth or use code truth at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash truth. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. If it's okay, let me unpack something you read earlier in chapter seven. Yeah. You see this theme, you've already said it. In verse six of chapter seven, it says that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. And then it says right after that, that the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. Mm-hmm. And then you see this again in verse 10 and mm-hmm. verse nine, verse nine, for the good hand of his God was on him. In verse mm-hmm. 10 it says Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. So you see three things in one verse. And here's why I want to unpack that. When I was studying this, here's what I like to do. You, you leave it in its context, right? That's where it's most powerful because you can pull out the principles and the truths of God, what honors God, who God is. But I thought about the culture that he's having to minister to. His call is to rebuild the culture, to spiritual reformation and transformation. The culture he's dealing with there, it's crazy. It's it's really no different from the culture today that we're dealing with. All kinds of stuff is mixed, and he's wondering, how do I lead these people? And so what you see is he has a heart for God. He studies the law of the Lord. In the same verse, it says, then he does it. He studies it. He does it. And then you see at the end of the verse, he teaches it. Yes. So look at that. So a man is set out a heart for God. I'm going to study it. Mm. I am going to do it. And then I am going to teach it. And look, the danger is to study it and not do it. Right. The danger today is even to say, I'm going to study it. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to teach it because I'm afraid of the opposition. This man says, or, God, I'm going to teach it, but not study it. Oh, there you go. Or, or not even do it. Right. I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. Or I'll not teach do it. it yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. So this guy is saying, I'm so in love with you. I am going to travel. I am going to study. I'm going to do, and I'm going to teach. Now, what is the result and the reward for a man or woman whose heart is fully after God like this? Here's the result. A heart for God can have the confidence that they'll experience the hand of God. You can't get away from that. It goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. The heart for God experiences the hand of God. And that is the theme for Ezra. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But he has the comfort of the hand of God because God has his heart. Yes, that's so good. And at the end of chapter 7... Ezra starts using first person because mm-hmm. it's believed the book is technically anonymous, but it's commonly held that Ezra wrote it. And so at the end of chapter seven, in verse 27, he yeah. says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors, and all his powerful officers. So I took courage because Mm. I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord, my God, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. That's good stuff. Yeah. That is good stuff. 
I'm glad you pointed that out, Amanda, because I I think I didn't notice the change in the indent or whatever, because I was like, wait, I thought Artaxerxes was speaking, and now it feels like that's Ezra, and now I understand that change into first person. Thank I had you. to make myself a note. Yeah, Amanda made I equals okay. Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That helps me, because I literally had a note of just like, but wait, uh-huh. who's talking now? Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. And, you know, I think we have, you know, we, we always want to be careful and when we're reading scripture that we don't, you know, place people on a pedestal that only belongs to Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that in Ezra, we have an example of faithful leadership mm-hmm. because right. we do see that he is first submitting himself to the Lord, right? And to his word, all those things that you just pointed out, Noe. And when he when he returns, you know, in the middle of chapter eight, he proclaims a fast. Mm-hmm. You know, they're humbling themselves before the Lord and pleaded with God. God was receptive to their prayer. So there's like a lot of, it feels like it's sort of the opposite of what I think we are tempted to do. I would say like in our society now, but I think this has been an always problem, not just <laughs> an us problem, but yeah. where we like, oh, God, this is my assignment. Great, thanks. I'll check back in with you later after I'll take I'm it done. From here. Yeah, <laughs> I got right. this. Yeah. Right, and that is not. That's just not the model that we see in any part of Scripture. The ministry of Jesus included. Right. That's right. Yeah. I'm glad that you pointed out the fast, Amanda, because that was another thing that was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like the way that he like tells about it uh-huh. is funny. I'm going to read. He he's says kind of, he's like I'm, I'm scared to ask. Is, the he's king. like this is awkward, and here's why. It <laughs> says I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask Him for a safe journey for us, our dependents, and our all of our possessions. And then he said, I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from our enemies during this journey, since I had told him the hand of our God is gracious <laughs> to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So we fasted and pleaded with God about this, and he was receptive to our prayers. Like, it was just That's a, like, so real. I bragged so That's big so about real. God, now I don't feel like I can ask for help, so I'm actually going to have to go to God, uh-huh. the one who I bragged about, and be like, I actually do need your help. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> No, that that is so good. It, it's so Amanda, human. It is so human. That's what I love about the scripture. And Amanda, you you hit the nail on the head with these biblical characters, like a Ezra or Nehemiah, whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. You look at them and you think, man, a person of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is, anytime we see this good stuff in these characters, where we're just almost like, I want to model after that. The truth is that characteristic points to Jesus. That's a characteristic of Christ. Joseph, who was faithful withstanding temptation, characteristic Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Ezra, the faithfulness to the Father, characteristic of Jesus. Mm, So all these characters, you you are spot on. We shouldn't idolize these characters, but it points us to the likeness of Jesus. That's the good stuff. Uh, The only good in us is the good of Christ, right? And so it's the same with all of them. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. The Jeremiah passage that we'll read on Wednesday is really sweet. Like this description of God bringing his people home, the description of his people, it's like we are busted up, Mm -hmm. broken, 
you know? And it's just this sweet, like, gathering, like God is shepherd, which it actually says in the text, like God is shepherd, but it says, I will gather them from remote regions of the earth. The blind and the lame will be with them along with those who are pregnant, those who are about to give birth. Like, is there anyone more vulnerable, you know? Mm -hmm. And just like, they will return here as a great assembly. They will come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to wadis filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble, for I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn. It's just really tender, Mm -hmm. and it's such a good thing to read. That was from Jeremiah 31. It was really Mm -hmm. sweet to read that alongside, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the actual history of 1700 mile journey like wow (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i mean and to you know kind of close the loop on that you know him praying and fasting for protection Mm -hmm. you get that at the end of day 10 it says we so we set off from the ahava river on the 12th day of the first month to go to jerusalem we were strengthened by our god Mm -hmm. and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from ambush along the way and then it says you know they rested for a few days and then they took account of all the everything they had and then it says they also and this is interesting to me in verse 36 they also delivered the king's edicts to the royal satraps and governors of the region west of the euphrates so that they would support the people in the house mm-hmm. of god they were like here's like here's mm. our doctor's note <laughs> like we're allowed yeah, to be right. here <laughs> our <laughs> permission right. slip our hall pass whatever it you is. can tell our school has started slip. school has started we've got hall passes going yeah, yeah. there you go but uh, here's here's where we are please don't hurt no. us no that's good like you said even that passes in jeremiah it's a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You have all these people come together in their brokenness and just mm-hmm. want to worship the Lord. You know, I think about as a pastor and I look out at my congregation on Sundays, that's what we are. We're all people mm-hmm. who are broken in desperate need of restoration. Right. And that's the picture you see here. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. It really yeah. is. And now an easy transition into Ezra chapter 9. So you've already alluded to this, Noe, that there's kind of this like the the intermarriage of God's people with the people of the areas they were exiled to right. was a really big deal. And we mentioned it last week just briefly with Dr. Edmondson that this was not about race. This was not about no. racial intermarrying. Because no. you've already said at one point earlier, like this was about religion, like yeah. about marrying into other yep. other gods. So help us understand Ezra's posture here because he's coming and he coming, you know, back to Jerusalem and he is flattened by this. Yes. And really like talk about work as a priest. Yeah. So his heart is burdened. And, and like you said, it's not about intermarriage here. It's not about mixing of races. It's about mixing of gods. Yeah. So mm-hmm. his his heart was burdened because what the Israelites had done, they had lowered their standard to worship their God and their God only. Uh-huh. And they have con- they loosened up those standards and they went outside of the covenant and married people who were not part of the covenant of God, which means that now there is idolatry happening. And so what scholars would say, here's where it gets a little messy and sticky and we can wrestle with this, is that when he sends this decree for people to get a divorce, to come out of those intermarriages, yeah. There, it gets messy and it gets sticky and it gets it gets confusing and muddy because some scholars would say like, "Hey, this is a bit confusing because God doesn't want divorce." Mm-hmm. So some would question: Did Ezra go outside of the will of God for this? Again, I'm going to say some, not Noe. Some would say when you study this, 
Did Ezra go outside the will of God and decree them to get a divorce, Mm. which goes against God's heart? Mm. What was going on exactly here? I'll tell you, I'm not sure which one it was. I'm not sure if Ezra thought because they did what they weren't supposed to do, the way to fix it is to tell them to get out of it. Like undo um, it. Yeah. Undo it. Or did he believe that, you know, God was calling him to do that? Or did he just say, I know what we're supposed to do here. Get a divorce. So it gets a little bit messy, but but you cannot we cannot miss the heart behind Ezra's duties as a priest. His heart was this: I have to restore people back to God. Mm-hmm. The problem is they stop serving God and God alone. So mm-hmm. my desire is that everybody repents, which is what we're going to see. We also see in Nehemiah, everybody repents and comes back to God. It gets messy, but I believe that his approach was about idol worship and the mixing mm. of religions. It was not about race. I agree. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is hard. I mean, it's hard to read some of this where it says directly in the text that there are, you know, women and families that are sent away. And, you know, we can't read that without, I think, imagining what that must have been like. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that you just said, and we can wrestle with that. <laughs> because, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times when we hit parts of scripture that we don't understand and that are difficult, we want to kind of either just move on or gloss over. But what's happening here is this like restoring back to the heart of God and, you know, the commandments given to Moses, right? Like you'll have no other gods before me. Right. And it helps too when I think about Hosea to remember that God's pursuit of his people, in spite of their unfaithfulness, it is a very determined mm-hmm. pursuit. It's also a tender pursuit. Like it, mm-hmm. these things are not because we're human. It can be really hard for us to reconcile all of this, right? And like, but for God, God is all of His attributes all of the time, mm-hmm. right? In full measure. Mm-hmm. So it's not like well. He was sovereign over the return, but this part he kind of flubbed. Like right. it's just like <laughs> that's right. There are hum- right. humans involved, and so there will be a lot of things that appear messy. I think part of the challenge is that when we read this, we read it sometimes through the lens of how we would act and respond that's accordingly, right. mm-hmm. and we forget. You know, we're not God. The way like it's exactly what you said. His attributes. And the fullness of them all the time. Uh-huh. So do I understand it all, all the time? No. Do I even pretend to know that I know exactly what God is doing? Absolutely not. And so that's why we know what the Bible says, and we know the parts of his heart that exposes in these certain chapters. Uh-huh. But as humans with limited comprehension of the fullness of who he is, yes, we are going to wrestle 100%. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even like speaking of humans, like you think about Ezra, like we've talked about Ezra and like taking his journey and showing up and like the walk was the easy part because Hmm. like here he is and faced with like, if he knows, you know, the heart of God as much as we've, you know, discussed in this hour, like he knows then God's heart for marriage. Like God Mm. is a covenant God and marriage is a covenant matter. Like it is not something to be entered into lightly. There are so many things about marriage that we can see in scripture about how God 
like even knowing, you know, from all over Malachi, New Testament, like how does God feel about divorce? Like this is a, a very precious thing to him, right? And so for Ezra, who has just been after the heart of God, to see this, like I just think about how distressed he must have been to just go like, no, like that's the reason we got exiled in the first place. It's yeah. We're wholeheartedly seeking God mm-hmm. and yep. now we're half-heartedly doing it again. Like mm-hmm. we just got back. Yep. Like that just had to have been so discouraging. And you're 100% right that marriage, that covenant, right, should reflect his heart. So yeah. when you distort the picture of marriage, you distort the picture of the gospel. Yeah. And this is why it's such a big deal here because they're yeah. distorting what God has intended. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's a line at the beginning of chapter 10. It's actually not Ezra who says it, but somebody else is saying, you know, like, we've been unfaithful. And he says, but there is still hope for Israel in Mm -hmm. spite of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just, you know, there's such a, kind of goes back to that, like, there's grief. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to grieve here because sin always comes with pain. That's yeah. right. And just, you know, sin destroys. I love that you pointed that out, Amanda, because I feel like I don't think you can tidy this book up in a bow, but like that sentiment of we have been unfaithful, but there is still hope. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. That's how Ezra started. Like mm-hmm. with the like we're in exile, but here's the hope. And it mm-hmm. feels like it ends in the same way. Yeah. We've been unfaithful again, but there is hope. And we talked last week about how this is, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, one of the last books of the Old Testament after, uh, and then Chronicles. And so like if we are ending the Old Testament with we have been unfaithful, but there is still hope, mm-hmm. think about what what comes next. Yeah. It's the Messiah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good word there. I mean, and it really does. Like, it just ends with, we get a lot of names, which, you know, we mm-hmm. were reminded last week by Christina Edmondson to appreciate when the names are included mm-hmm. and and be patient in the, in the reading and pronouncing of them, because how did she put that? She said it was maybe like an invitation to like a cultural experience. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, it, we're, none of us like speak ancient Hebrew, at least I don't. You um, don't? And, Weird. You know, so just to like <laughs> enter into like the discomfort of like, I'm going to say yeah. this wrong, but I'm going to try. But we yeah. get another list of names, and that is where it ends. Yeah. Last verse of the last chapter. All of these had married foreign women, and some of the wives had given birth to children. This and that is, is the, the end, end of the end book of, the book of, book of So, Noe, as you are preparing sermon notes for future Noe yes. to deliver on your Ezra, yes. like help us. We don't. We don't need the bow. We're wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, wrestling. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're yeah, good yeah. to wrestle. Fine. Yeah. But yes. as twenty first century believers, and we are reading the book of Ezra, and we want to take what we learn and we want to apply what we have learned in this book to our lives. And we should, right? Like, that's a good instinct. So where does this leave us? (laughs) There are probably three things. Oh, like a pastor. Three things. Just like a pastor. (laughs) They're all going to start with the C, okay? I would like that. I would like that. (laughs) To sum this up, here's the, the, the best way I can sum this up. The first thing you see is God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. Like, Amen. What a great God. And again, that is not, that is not a license to sin, mm-hmm. nope. but that is more just glorifying who he is. So that's an incredible thing that we see there. 
Number two, you see this theme over and over and over, so we cannot escape it. But I've said this earlier, but I think we have to learn from this because I'll say it again. A heart for God can have confidence in the hand of God. And that's the second Mm -hmm. thing you have to see. We're going to be imperfect. We're going to fail. But to have a heart of God, it continues to pursue God in the midst of our imperfections. That's right. Number three, this ends. Can you imagine this? Can you? This is like the hall of shame here. This is not the hall of fame. (laughs) This is the hall of shame. There is accountability for what those have done outside the covenant of God. It lists their name. Can you imagine seeing that? Just you're crumbling because everybody Mm. knows you did something you weren't supposed to do. There can be great like question mark. So what happens from here? You can see the question mark and you can see the shame of the guilty or you can see the hope because although it lists those that are guilty, the truth is that those that are guilty of intermarriage, it lists their names because those are the ones that are being restored. Hmm. Those are the ones that have hope. So their names to some can represent guilt and shame or their names can represent hope. So where in those moments when I read this, I think I can look at my sin and it could always be a moment of shame or it could be a moment where God restored me. Peter, when he denied God, do you know what he did? He went back to fishing. When God called him (laughs) back to himself, where was he? He was on the boat, Mm -hmm. the very same place where he was when God first called him. Mm -hmm. So that moment of failure can be seen as a moment of failure, or we can see that moment as a moment of restoration. Do you know that every time Peter must have Woken up every morning, he heard the rooster crow. Mm. He was reminded, I failed God. But when he came back to God, Mm. we came back to Jesus, the sound of the rooster's crow changed. It went from a sound of failure to a sound of restoration. So we can look at our sin and recognize we don't like it. We are guilty. You can write my name down because I'm guilty. And that moment is no longer a moment of shame, but it's a moment of restoration and hope. So that's how I'm going to twist this thing and turn it. Not that I'm turning the scripture because uh-uh. it, it says what it says, but I am saying what a mighty God that we have uh-huh. to say there is hope. That's right. Amen. I love that. I think you nailed it. I Good think job. You nailed it. <laughs> I think it's sorry you if nailed I got it. preachy. Sorry, the pastor no, came out of me. Listen, I, I loved it. I was starting to take notes, and then I just thought, nope, oh, I'm going to have to just go back and listen yeah, to this again yeah. and write that down, because i gotta, I got to hang on these good. words. Uh, wait, I, it is occurring to me at the end of this episode that I challenged myself to bring back the dry heat, and I missed my opportunity because I was talking about a 1,700-mile walk in the desert. And I didn't oh. say it's a dry heat. It was. Yeah, that's that right. Was, you should that was my it. chance. And so <laughs> you I missed know. it. You missed there's, it. But there's hope, Noe. There's hope. <laughs> there's hope. But there's hope. Yeah. I'm going to bring it back now. Thank you so much. I can't thank you thank enough you for joining mm-hmm. us, giving us your time, and just sharing with us. We love to learn, and we learn today. So thank yes. you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love what you are doing. You are you are getting biblical truth out there over and over and over. So thank you both for what you're doing. 
Well, y'all listening, you've got a good week ahead of being a man or woman in the Word of God every day. And then y'all come back next week. Amanda and I are preparing a couple of fun bonus episodes for you um, in the next couple of weeks. And then after that, we will be opening the also interesting, never dull book of Judges. The book of Judges. That's going to be an interesting one. No, you come back if you like. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. We went through this as a community, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe five or six. And it is such a good book to be a part of and to understand and to know and to be a reader of. We talked in you know last week about the importance of knowing what Scripture says. Yeah. This is going to be an important one for us to know what Scripture says yeah. here. If y'all don't have a book, you've got plenty of time to order it. ShopSheReadsTruth.com. You can go and order the judges uh, I have reading a code guide. for you. Oh, and Amanda's got a code. Would you like to say five? $5, if you would, use the code JUDGESPODCAST5, the number five, JUDGESPODCAST5, and you'll get $5 off. Anything of, in the Judges collection. That's it, yeah. Nice. And, and you uh, can get a, a digital study book, too, if you prefer that. A lot yep. of people like the digital study book. It's a good book to read in community that's, and not alone. That's exactly right. Along with all the other books of the Bible, but all especially. Right. Friends, come back next week for a bonus episode. It'll be a good surprise. But until next week, Noe. Dr. Nelly Garcia. Oh, yes. you were excited. You jumped the gun. I like I it. Ju- but he listen, was ready. I've been waiting for this He's moment. Ready. <laughs> you wait for it. You have to wait for your cue. Are you ready? Wait, you let me but know. An, you let me know. But an, until next week, Noe, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.